The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. That's the other thing that people don't really understand is because if you're a naive entrepreneur, you think, well, all I have to do is make a great product. It's like, no, that's about 5%. <laughs> yeah. I love it when people say, oh, the product just sells itself. <laughs> it's just yeah. one of those things which yeah. are like, you've not been in business a very long time. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Now, this is a very exclusive episode. I don't think you'll find anything like this on the internet where I've managed to get together billionaires and a few 100 millionaires thrown into the mix. People I've met personally, I've been lucky enough to be mentored by or I've interviewed. This is free advice from 100 millionaires or billionaires. I don't think you'll find anything like this on the internet. So before you go and listen, or watch the episode, make sure you do like this video and subscribe to the channel. We do many billionaires, many hundred millionaires and many disruptive entrepreneurs. So let's go now with the billionaire and hundred millionaire interview. I think you'll love it. I think that all cultures are taught to talk, not talk about money. That's got to be wrong. Then you wonder why people don't have it. Yeah. So like, in, if you look over history, the things that people don't talk about, they end up having problems mm. with, whether it's sex or... Um, Gender, pay gap, relationships, all of that. You name it, dude. Yeah. Any, anything that you're not going to talk about. It's like you asked me before the interview, is there any place you don't want to go? And mm. I said, no, I don't have any secrets. Mm. Like, I, don't, I have nothing secretive in my life. Like, there's nothing I'm doing that I need to hide. There's nothing I'm ashamed of. So money is a... We live on a planet that is... It, it, this is an economic planet. Like everywhere you go, I, I, I go into Harrods, they want money there. Yeah. I noticed that the other day. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. man, this is very much like America, right? You go to New York, they want money there. You walk into the shops, you're not leaving with uh, anything, whether it's food or diamonds or clothes or shoes or the, even basic needs like housing. Housing here is unbelievable. Mm. Your rent here is 70% higher than the rents in San Francisco. Mm. And San Francisco is the most expensive rent in the United States. Right. So there's a lot of commonalities, right? So. You know, in America, it's all right to talk about money if you don't have it. Yeah. If you do have it, it's like taboo. Right. You can't tell anybody that you really have money there. Now, and then there's the people between poverty and the, the, the wealthy in America, the people in between that, that act like they have money. That's okay. They actually, they're fakers. They don't actually have any money. Right. You know, they're just showing off with their BMWs and their and, and their 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 belt and whatever right so <laughs> so i think people should talk about money more at least within themselves at least the husband and wife because what happens in the culture is when you you can't talk to your buddy about what you make or what you keep or what you made on a deal mm. um and that th- you end up not talking to your kids about it yeah and you don't talk to your wife about it and the next thing you know the family's got a problem with money mm. yeah 50 percent of couples apparently according to my research do not know what their spouse earns. Yeah. So they've either not found out or they've lied. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big secret. And, yeah, you know, yeah. your wife or your husband. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. So you do know, you think I, it, think... I think a lot of people don't actually know what they make. Yeah. Mm. I, think if you, I think if you surveyed... That doesn't surprise me, by the way. Mm. But I think there's a lot of people that don't know what they make. We just did a survey for a, a financial course that I was delivering... Um, Jared, do you remember what the number was? What percentage didn't know their taxes, their tax, uh, their tax rate? Uh, it was over seventy percent. Didn't know what mm. their 
in America, it's a federal tax and a state tax and a withholding tax. Mm. So they didn't know. 65% of Americans are on, on some kind of government assistance. These are the things that are not told in society. Like, like yeah. Americans are told we're, we live in the richest country on the planet. Like, all I got to do is come here and say, wait a minute, man. So, <laughs> wait a minute. We're, we can't be the richest country. I, Singapore. Singapore has t- uh, rent, rents that are 84% higher than America. Yeah. But Americans are basically programmed to believe that we're the land of the home. Mm. Uh, le- what is it? Land of the free and home of the brave? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the truth is, there's not very many free people in mm. America. This really because they don't have enough money to be free. Sure. For, money, money is basically a freedom mm. tool. Yeah. It's not, it's not a car tool. It's not oh, okay, I can buy a Rolls Royce now or a big AP watch. You know, like you're showing off your big AP <laughs> right there. Okay, in white, by the way. Uh, only made fifty. Yeah, and he's only—he's one of fifty guys in the world that owns that thing. Well, well someone in the US see, but you say that. Of them. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but you say that with such humility. This is the interesting thing about the English. You guys have a way to deliver things so humbly. I think my haters would have something different to say about you're that. You're so humble and you're so, <laughs> and you're so proper. And then the Americans, on the other hand, we're like, you know, boisterous mm. and, and, and antagonistic a bit, you mm. know, and big mouths. And, and I think if we had a bit more of that in Britain, we'd probably be a bit more free and open and truthful. I mm. think this, like... I, when I went to school, I was in one of the top sets. I was deemed to be one of the more clever ones. So what they did is they put me in a... Um, See, that's something we would never say in America. More clever. We would never uh, say I was one of the more clever ones. Uh, yeah. Um, I definitely wasn't the smartest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, so what they did is they put me in a class where we learned geography in French. Mm-hmm. So we had to speak in French, learn geography. But, well, they never, well. but they never taught me about budgeting, yeah, money yeah, management, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, how to learn how to handle money, how to save it, where to put it. Yeah, yeah. That, surely that is insane that we're taught geography in French, yeah. but not basic money management skills. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the thing is, is if, if you know what you're doing, you want to hire a conservative. If you don't know what you're doing, you want to hire a liberal. Right. Right. So yeah. that's, that's a way of thinking about it temperamentally. Mm. It's also a way of parsing out the political landscape to understand at least in part why you need conservatives and liberals yeah so well i mean i find a business is like a family and in the past in my company i've had all under 25 year old male entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. why did we hire them because that's what we were like right and people i've found entrepreneurs tend to hire versions of themselves at first instead of being more self-aware to go actually i'm chaotic disruptive what i need is order and um like you said good administrative skills conscientiousness so you go through that chaos of hiring people too much like you and and having like too much male energy or too much creative energy then you maybe react and hire a lot of administration and conscientiousness and then you maybe lose the soul in your company and then the creator is trying to drag the the company forward feels like he's been getting held back by everybody well and it is yes but the funny thing is it's needed to hold him back but they've got to let him go as well or her haven't they well well, that's the that's that's the that's the problem the fundamental problem is most new ideas are stupid, dangerous, and counterproductive. And they're the ones but that change some, the world. <laughs> well, 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 they are sometimes. Mm. They are sometimes. But there's a subset of new ideas that, even though new ideas are dangerous and disruptive and often counterproductive and generally don't result in a productive company, mm. some of them are absolutely necessary and they're the thing you need to do next. Mm. And so... And, and that's a very difficult problem to solve because it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the fundamental problem of innovation. Mm. It's like 
most innovations aren't justified or warranted, but some of them are absolutely crucial. So how do you distinguish between them? And the answer is, well, we, we don't know. Uh, the Part of the way that you do that in a dynamic economy is you let and encourage a whole host of entrepreneurs to produce their ideas and you let almost all of them fail, which is kind of painful for the entrepreneurs. Mm, but, but, but limited company and all those kind of structures yeah. are set up to make that more safe, aren't they? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. well, those are, those are, th- this is something that's massively underappreciated. I yeah, would say yeah. on the liberal left end of the political spectrum is people just don't understand how absolutely revolutionary mm. the idea of a limited company is because what a limited company allows is a limited company allows your idea to die instead of you. Yeah, yeah. And that's a m- big deal. Yeah, because, otherwise no one would take the risk would well, they of creating anything. Well, they, 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 that's right. No, no one could bear the mm. risk because if you failed, you, it would wipe you out mm. permanently. It's like, well, who the hell's going to take that risk? Yeah. And so the fact that the limited liability is one of the... the, the Unbelievable tech! I can't believe that we. That's ever like an innovation that we all just forget Jesus. about. Jesus, it? yeah. It's it, and it's such a merciful innovation. Yeah. It's like you mean I I get to fail and no one's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a, no one's going to throw me in debtor's prison. It's mm. not going to hang around my neck for the rest of my life. I can actually take a risk. So because the other thing you see often with entrepreneurs is that they fail a lot before they succeed, and so I mean you have to be pretty damn spectacularly lucky. To have your first idea mm. when you don't know what the hell you're doing mm. be a spectacular success. Or maybe it's a good idea, but you weren't ready and you're oh, more yes, ready. Or the, uh, or the marketplace isn't yeah. ready. Or I mean, it, that's the other thing that people don't really understand is because if you're a naive entrepreneur, you think, well, all I have to do is make a great product. It's like, no, that's about 5% <laughs> yeah. of it. You know, and, and that shocked the hell out of me when I started building software, for example, mm. because we assumed that we, we, we developed software to help people um, select better employees, and we never could sell it except in, in very rare circumstances. But we assumed that if we had a product that was validated, we could show that it had the effects that we wanted and that it was more efficient than other products in the marketplace, that selling it would be easy. It's like, well, that's just so wrong. Uh, Selling and marketing things is impossible. I love it when people say, oh, the product just sells itself. (laughs) It's just one of those things which are like, you've not been in business a very long time. Um, Yeah, because you've got market forces, you've got your skill set. You could have a great product. Mm -hmm. You're just not ready to sell it because you haven't got enough experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and you don't know how to price it. Yeah. And you don't know who to talk to to sell it. You know, you can spend your whole life especially if you're selling to companies, which is virtually impossible, talking to the wrong people. And it Mm. feels like work and it really is work, but you never end up contacting a real decision maker. And then you can't tolerate the excessive delay. Like you think, well, I'm going to go sell this product to a big company because because they can obviously provide me with a massive contract. It's like, yeah, but there's a relationship between the size of the company and the delay yes. in the implementation. And the de- delay can be years. Yeah. And then what this is what this happened to us all the time. It was very painful. Um, we'd get right to the point of signing with a large company and there'd be an internal management transformation and the person that we were dealing with would disappear. It's like, oh no, it's like, now what? We actually had that happen with a really big company in New York. We were right on the verge of signing uh, a contract for use of this self-authoring program that we designed, which helps people plan their lives. And the the week that we were ready to sign the contract, the CEO resigned. So gone. Two was probably... 
a year of sales and marketing work just evaporated. Yeah. You know, and 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 you don't get paid for any of that. You get no, you get no reward for getting three hundred and sixty-four days. No, down you the certainly don't. Days. You certainly don't. Well, and it's also really easy for. Um, one of the things that tech incubators do really badly, I think, is they do lots of things really badly, generally speaking. But one of the things they do that's very counterproductive with the people that they train is they they emphasize the development of the company, but they don't force their entrepreneurs to find customers because your first customer is the most difficult thing you'll ever do as a business person in in my experience to find someone who will actually pay you that first time that isn't your mom yeah that's right well that's right that isn't a family member that's an actual customer and the the other problem that people face when they're trying to sell a new product is one of the reasons one of the ways that people decide whether they're going to buy something is whether or not a, they know anyone else who's already bought it, or B, if there's other people in their domain that are already using it. Mm. And if if your sales pitch is, well, no, this is new and revolutionary, you think, well, that's a wonderful sales pitch. It is like it is if you're talking to someone who's entrepreneurial and risk-taking and, inter- and interested in revolutionary ideas. But if you're talking to a middle manager in a company, the last thing that person wants to hear is, well, you could be a risk taker and introduce this into your company. The person's yeah. thinking, I don't want to put my job or mm. reputation on the line for your product, even if it is revolutionary, in part because if it succeeds, I probably won't be rewarded for its success. Um, I've studied happiness a lot mm-hmm. and um, because I actually do get quite a lot of happiness from material items, mm-hmm. but not because I need external validation. Maybe a little bit, I'll be, I'll be honest, but mostly because of how I grew up yeah. and, and, and the romantic notion of all the cars on the wall that I had when I was six working for my dad in his pub, mm. picking them off one by one as a, uh, you know, like I am becoming who I'm meant to become. The single most, the thing to me that made me the happiest this year, that's not involving my children or my, or my wife, was Harry there. Mm-hmm. He was pissed at our Christmas party. He was pissed as fuck. Right? And he, he, said, he said to me, he said to me, oh, there's, there's this scammer, there's that scammer, there's this company who's screwing people over. You're the good guys. I'll fight for you, Rob. I'm your foot soldier. I'm staying here for good. I will fight for you, Rob. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel a massive sense of pride and achievement and I did start going for the money because it's a measure isn't it it's It's if a company's not making profit it's not a company it's a hobby Um, but I had this little moment he won't know because he's too pissed Um, and I I just chucked tomato soup down an Alexander McQueen suit so it was all going wrong but if I could have bottled that that's what yeah that was the best day yeah yeah that was awesome completely agree but then I've got a, manager, a management accounts meeting the next day and a board meeting the next day and we're setting our targets for the next year. And so this happiness. So David J. Lieberman, I think it's worth studying. He's done a lot of science. Happiness is defined as progress towards yeah. a worthy goal. Yeah. So progress is I feel like I'm self-actualizing, I'm moving forward. Humanity's like purpose is to grow. Mm-hmm. Towards means towards something. Mm-hmm. Worthy. As in, it's valuable. And then goal is something that I haven't achieved yet. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting here saying, I am already enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't need to validate myself through external pursuits. Mm -hmm. Yet there's something in progress 
yeah. and achievement and self-actualization, i.e. being more than we already are, mm. that creates happiness. Yes. So, loose, 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 loose. But I'm not disagreeing with you. No, no, I completely get yeah. it. I can, I've read the, the, that from that author a lot. I know that yeah. quite well. Um, there's, an, there's a Chinese philosopher called Lu Cao, I think his name mm. is. And he says, the best journeys are ones where you never arrive. And you just said about your billionaire friends that's, that said the worst day of their life was when they got to that perceived milestone. Yeah. The whole point about creating an infinite lifestyle and an infinite company is you don't, you, your objective isn't to become the biggest. Yeah. It's one of the things I stripped from all of our company this year, did a big presentation in January to all of our teams. We're no longer playing to be the biggest, the largest, the whatever. These are all measures of comparison. Yeah. What happens when we become the biggest? Well then, what's all the fucking... And why did we want to become the biggest? What yeah. was the inherent value in becoming the biggest? Mm. So the whole reframing was to make ourselves, our lives, my life, and uh, designed to be an infinite one. Not, not saying that I'm going to do the same thing every day, but it has to be designed in the way that it could be, which means it has to be fundamentally sustainable. We set three values in our company, which are written on all the walls now, which kind of play into this, which is... Um, our, the existential reason why our company exists, because you said you're going public. So the first one is the work, which is the combined value we bring to the world through the products. We have. Second one is the welfare, which is the welfare of the people. And one of the things that, like you said about your colleague here, gives you the most fulfillment is when you see that people that have um, believed in you yeah. are happy, fulfilled, yeah. and um, are enjoying their life. Kieran moves to Peterborough from, or near Peterborough from where he lives because yeah. he's making a commitment to our cause. Exactly. Those things make me feel great. That in and of itself... Don't fucking move out, all right? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't move back to Kettering. Yeah. That yeah. in and of itself, what you've described there, is a reason enough to run the business you mm. run, right? But you still need to make money to fund it. 100%. Yeah. That's why we got the work one there. Yeah. So the welfare one is the combined wellness and, and happiness of the group, right? Yeah. So our, what we've tried to do at Social Chain is create a sustainable lifestyle for everybody. And we're trying to do this at the moment. We've got goals and measures and everything. A sustainable lifestyle for everybody within the team. That means that if he wants to fly to Germany and work there, he can. If he wants to take six months off and travel the world and come back to his job, he can. If he wants to take unlimited holidays, he can. If he wants, if he has a rough spot and he needs a mental health therapist, Social Chain will pay for all of that. And the whole point is trying to create a fully sustainable lifestyle for the people so that they don't have to, um, they can get the challenge and everything they want in an infinite way from this one organization. And the last one's the world, which is the combined impact that our business has on the world. We're going, we're going completely carbon neutral. We're donating a million dollars this year. To, we've donated 650,000 so far in our time and money to a variety of causes. There's 20 different goals around the world, one that the team have come up with collectively. And we don't want to be the company that cuts down the rainforest and then donates to the bees. Yeah. We have to learn to be sustainable within the, the, the forest, the ecosystem. Mm. And so the whole company is now being designed um, because of these like personal revelations that I had in my own life about like where, what am I playing for here, yeah. um, to be sustainable. So a place that I could live and work for the next 30, 40 years and get everything I want. Yeah. The, the challenge, the fulfillment, the chase, the, you know, but, but in a sustainable way. Yeah. And hopefully that kind of gives it context a little bit as to how I can still play this idea of building of ambition with um, one where I am already enough. And this is a journey that's like ambition without comparison. Hi, it's Rob. Quick interruption here to make sure you like this video and you subscribe to the channel. We are upping our content game, bringing you the most disruptive interviewees and guests and content, and not just the people who do the usual circuit. So make sure you like, 
subscribe and now let's get back to the interview the moonshot is a word that uh, is really is about those audacious ideas those audacious things that most people on the surface believe are difficult or impossible to do and to me those moonshots is what moves the humanity forward so for me there are two moonshots that i'm currently working on one is really about saving humanity from potential extinction by creating a multiplanetary society so you know think of us 7.4 billion of us on one single spacecraft we lovingly call planet earth and it's our spacecraft is flying on the space what if our spacecraft gets damaged because we get hit by a large asteroid then the it's not the planet that won't survive planet will be just fine the whole human species may not survive remember when we got hit by a large asteroid the dinosaurs were substantially bigger species dinosaurs got wiped out planet was just fine it created humans right and when humans get wiped out it will probably create superhumans for all we know right but the point is we never so our job is to make sure can we save the human species by distributing into multiple spacecraft right if you can hear the dinosaurs rolling in their graves what would they be saying if they had one good entrepreneurial dinosaur that could have taken them to moon or mars they would still be around roaming on the moon mars and beyond and the second moonshot that i'm working on really is you know solving the healthcare then we see that billions and billions of people are now suffering from chronic diseases it has become the biggest epidemic of our society the richer we are getting the sicker we are getting so if you look at you know the middle east or india people never had diabetes or depression or obesity now all those things are coming into the society as the society is becoming richer so i really think if we don't solve the problem of chronic diseases we would have wiped out the human species the way of living the quality of life will continue to go down and i really believe that's a moonshot to make illness optional and that's my other company that i'm working on okay uh, and so that that is the driver is it for you that gives you the motivation to want to get up every morning you said before we went live at 3 or 4 a.m. is it the bigger the vision the more motivation is that how it works for you so if the things you're working on if you don't get you don't jump out of the bed at 4 a.m. you're working on something really not worthwhile if you get if you're lying down in the bed waiting for and and hitting the snooze alarm you're working on the wrong things find out why is it that you're not jumping out of the bed what is it that you're doing that doesn't excite you enough to jump out of that bed if you're not willing to die for it don't live for it what can an individual do someone who has got dreams and hopes but is struggling to start a business scale a business you know make them enough money to get a mortgage but, and pay it off and- but, but rob th- these issues are aren't separate they're intertwined because it isn't a political problem it's a global problem in the business opportunity is in solving those problems yes so the business opportunity is solving the environmental problem the business opportunity is solving the educational problem we have to use technology to solve the educational problem it's just too expensive we have to use technology to solve the healthcare problem it's it's just too expensive we have to use in america we're going to have to use technology to solve the guns problem you don't have that to dix that same problem that we have in, in america but people have to create businesses and use technology 
to solve those problems. That is entrepreneurship, so, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. And people can make money doing that. Yeah. And they can buy stuff. Mm. That makes them happy. Buy lots of stuff. Well, if it motivates them to grow their business, to help more people, to create value, and that's their sure. reward. Sure. I have nothing against that. Yeah. Yeah. But they, and they can hire people and they can employ people and they yeah. can train people. Yeah. It's great for everybody. It's great for the economy. Yeah. It's great for your community. It's great for your neighborhood. It's great for everybody. Mm. Yeah. But it's, I wouldn't separate the, the, the politics from the business because it's those issues where the business opportunities lie in solving mm. those problems. So to say that there's 4 billion people in the world that don't have high-speed internet, that's not a political problem. That's a business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. To say that there's a billion people without clean water, that's not a political problem, that's a opportunity. To say that education it, in, in America, where I know the price is better, is, is gone up, you know, eight or nine times faster than wages, that's, a, that's an op business opportunity. Someone needs to use technology to solve that problem. Otherwise, only rich people are going to be educated. Only rich people are going to breathe clean air. Only rich people are going to drink uh, clean water. And then the best business to be in will be security for rich people. Mm. It'll be the best business to be in if they're the only ones that have that stuff. Sure. So all these problems, they shouldn't be separated. Entrepreneurs should be thinking about how to solve them. Because what's more fun than solving a problem that the world needs? I and mean, I spent my whole life trying to solve problems that were bringing a service to the underserved at a cheaper rate and uh, I, at, scale. I, I, at scale and made money doing it and mm. made lots of money doing it yeah. and had lots of fun and employed lots of people doing it. So if we could, like, we probably will, but if we could take that bit, yeah. I've, to me, that's what entrepreneurship is about. Doing something you love, serving a lot of people, making their lives better, employing people and educating people and creating growth around you. you you know you pay your taxes through yep. your employment and yep. everything else you you know the entrepreneur takes the risk but because they have the, the bigger upside i think that's what entrepreneurship is for sure for sure you gotta have some people hating you in this world or else what's the point of living right <laughs> why why do you have to have some people that hate you because in this world, you have the haters drive engagement because like without the haters, like it's really, it's really sad, but it's true that the, that the way things work with virality in the internet is that when people start writing negative stuff, it creates controversy and more eyeballs. So I always say to my haters, just keep on hating because, you know, you drive so much engagement because it creates controversy and the internet loves controversy. There you go. Does, do any of them never get to you? Can you honestly say that you never are affected by what people say or write? Uh, not anymore. I, and early on, yes. And that's, that's uh, you know, my own fault for allowing anybody to ever get under my skin. But I, I guess, you know, nowadays, if, if Jesus Christ himself came back and gave that, you know, sermon on the Temple Mount, you'd be seeing half people saying, what an idiot he is. Oh, nothing new there. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You could be the most amazing speaker with the greatest message. You're going to find people who just hate you because that's the world we live in. So I most of all feel sorry for the people that, that are like that because, you know, I wonder what's going on in their life. They have to be, you know, so negative because, you know, I know my message is pure. It's great. And, um, you know, I understand there's, you know, some people deserve to be hated on, but 
I don't really see anything that is is that like you know it's purely evil like that. You can disagree with me, uh, and I like that. I, I I love you know I love I love the people who disagree with me in a very intelligent way, and that I really respect. And because there's always different opinions and different sides to any topic, um, so I love that honest, healthy, logical debate. What I think is ridiculous is the emotional. You're an asshole. You're an that, that to me is worthless. Yeah. And what changed? You said it used to bother you before, it used to affect you, and you blame yourself, and now it doesn't. What changed? Well, you see, I'm certainly early on because, I, you know, I think that, that um, you know, as confident as any person is, I think it takes you a little bit of time to realize, um, you know, what social media is really all about and, and, and how... Um, it allows people who are basically just cowards to feel like big shots and remain as cowards. And I, and I think I, I, I didn't really quite internalize that. I actually maybe almost believe, like not, not believe, but say I actually gave credence to like, oh, wow, they're saying things about me. That was many, I would say maybe like um, six or seven years ago, it really shifted for me. And I guess I did make mistakes. I'm the first person to admit that. And I think I still had some own limiting beliefs left over and some, you know, feelings of that, like, you know, what I did. And I finally said, what the fuck am I even talking about? It's just ridiculous. I do so much great stuff around the world. I've helped so many people. And once I made that shift, I just started feeling really sorry for these people more than anything. That's really what it came down to. And I also appreciate it because they drive massive engagement. So it became a funny thing where I love like those vicious comments. Of the, I was like, those vicious comments of the day? And it's just classic. It's hysterical. And you said limiting beliefs just there. You know, you had some limiting beliefs before. What were they? No, beliefs about like it, about like that, you know, listen, everybody makes mistakes. Everyone does great things. You know, the mistakes, I made some mistakes when I was um, very young, you know, in my early 20s when I, I got in trouble, I went to jail, people lost money. And listen, they were rich people. No, no, zero poor people lost money. But I, that's not what it was about. So no one got wiped out. But still, it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. And the fact that everyone else was doing it on Wall Street still doesn't make it right. So, like, I don't look back and say, oh, well, yeah, but everyone was losing people money. Okay, fair enough. But still not a good thing. So I, I had that, you know, in always in the back of my head. And I guess that when I would, you know, process what people said about me, um, that would creep up. And then finally I got to a point saying, this is ridiculous. If, if, any, if there's a heaven, I'm going there because I do great stuff far outweighs anything negative I've done in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very good about my prospects of entering the pearly gates.